Well, it is good to be here with Effective Heart Change. Welcome, Dale. Thank you, sir. It is always good to get together, and uh, hopefully uh, we're, we're presenting things that um, resonate with people, that uh, they can take and think, oh, that's interesting. I, I want to explore that more. Effective heart change. I was talking with someone yesterday, people a lot of times that talk to me about I pray all the time, but when you look at their lives, it's like, wow, we need to work on effective prayer versus just prayer, because your life's still a mess. And I would be one that would believe that if you're doing effective prayer, there should be really positive change in your life. You should be seeing some kind of breakthrough. Absolutely. Something that's out of the ordinary, that uh, we get into the day-to-day minutiae of, of things where we are obsessed with uh, every little detail uh, that really is more habit than, than any kind of progression. In our culture, there's all kinds of baselines now that are not biblical. They're, they're just they're wrong thinking. And maybe even, even just saying that word, I just went into a taboo zone. There's, there's not this thing of right and wrong. How, <laughs> how dare you say there's wrong thinking? Well, okay, let's just put it at a practical level. They're ineffective. They're not producing quality results, and wouldn't you rather have good results versus bad results? They're not beneficial. Exactly. There's not, there's not profit in pursuing them. And... and uh, I dare say that on a, on a daily basis, it would be profitable for us to consider what we're ingesting and then regurgitating. It. And that's a good expression of a, most of what we put out is, is stuff that really is not that consequential. In the recovery world, a really common saying is insanity is to continue to do the same thing and expect a different outcome. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, this is what we're talking about. If you have baselines, if you have modes of operation, patterns of behavior, those patterns of behavior will give you outcomes. They will give you results. If you're suddenly expecting that to just change without any kind of change on the front end, that's insanity. It's not wisdom. It's, it's you're barking up the wrong tree, whatever language you want to use, but effective heart change, hopefully some of the kinds of things that we're saying are based on the biblical foundations that are going to produce quality results. God's plan God's instead plan. of mine. And, and we talked about that in the group session today, that, that uh, uh, we've, we've been in this habit, whether it's drugs, alcohol, or anger, or the, any anything that can go negative, uh, and and we've we've lived there for a long time. We've gotten deep into it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a problem. But the but the reality is, we believe that. Well, okay, now I'm going to turn it over to God. Here it is, God, and then everything's going to be all right. Well, it took you a long time to get where you are, and it's going to take you a while to get out. But one step in the right direction, uh, and then repeat, and repeat, and repeat, and, and you probably get there. In this series, we're talking about one particular subsection, if you will, one particular group of people 
who need to make some changes to get better outcomes. And that group of people are called the King's Seat people. And today we're going to define that much more clearly. There's three different groups of people that we will talk about today that talk about that. One is the knowledge and competency people. They have a tendency to go into judgments, and so we'll talk about that piece. The second group are the nurture caregivers. They also tend to be many times codependents. And so you've got nurture, caregivers, codependence in the sense of I need you to respond to me in a particular way. And the last group of people that we'll talk about are justice people, people who really need to see outcomes. They need to see results, and that's not fair. And you have those pieces going. These people that I'm just describing, forgiveness, the forgiveness process, the let it go process, where I'm taking this thing, here's where I am, I'm getting it transferred to God, I'm receiving from God. Forgiveness for them, connecting with God and receiving from God for them looks very different than people who don't fall into these categories. All three of these, King's seat, uh, the way you, you've described them, uh, are uh, more dominant, they're more, uh, probably more well thought of, that that for the general public, uh, they appear to have it all together. They appear to have the answers. But there, there are uh, after effects that are not on the positive scale. They're leaders, they're influencers. And if I could use one word that would really cover it, and it'll really settle in on this first group, it's the word judgments. People see them as making judgments. They don't see them as needing to forgive. But we talked about last time, what's driving those judgments? Many times what's driving those judgments is pain. And out of that pain, then they send messages of you're less than me. And sometimes they actually think that. Sometimes they're actually thinking <laughs> you're less than me as a part of their whole world. But they, they have pain that is a motivator that causes them to send messages that are critical, that are belittling of other people. When other people hear those messages, they don't respond well. So the very thing they had hoped to accomplish by, well, let me come along and let me help you. Let me help you get to a better place because of the critical spirit, because of the pain that infuses that. They send bad messages. They alienate people. And when they do that, they literally don't accomplish their goal. In fact, they do just the opposite. They drive people away, cause them to stay deeper in, in their bondage. And they're hurt by that. And they are hurt by that. And they, they, it's a self-inflicted wound, but, but they hurt by that. And you, you said that, that that's the tendency. I think all of us have—we uh, go there sometimes where, where we're offended that People can't see how we feel. But in this case, it's supposed to be the strong point, and, and it can be a big, big stumbling block. If my core value is to influence you, and I'm not able to influence you, I feel less. I, I feel like I've failed. I choose whatever words you want to use, but there's just something inside of me that hurts at that point. And the language doesn't fit our normal view, but in a sense, I'm offended at you 
because you're not responding to me the way I want you to respond to me. When you sit in the king's seat, this is what unforgiveness actually looks like. You didn't get what I wanted you to get. I'm, do, I'm doing you a favor. I'm, 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 I'm laying it out for you. And, and with my, my great observation, you ought to go, oh, I see that, and everything will be hunky-dory. Now, this really fits knowledge and competency persons. And think about our culture. A lot of times when I teach, entire cultures fit certain modes. They fit certain spiritual gifts or core values or whatever language you want to use. As a culture in the United States, as a culture in the Western world, we value knowledge and competency. Now, I'm going to jump to the woke world. You know, much of what's going on in critical race theory and some of the different language there, they're literally saying, how dare you propose these values as being superior to other values? They don't know that they're talking about the same thing. And let's just start with something simple about being on time. If you're a knowledge and competency person, especially more the competency person, being on time is huge. It's not optional. No, you're wasting my time. You're burning my time. How dare you be late? And so this value of time is elevated and it's brought up to this higher level. And so me, when I'm on time, this is a right and wrong thing. And you, if you're running late, you are absolutely wrong. You have comparative values going on here. And what's interesting in the current culture wars, that's one of the things that's in play. This whole knowledge and competency, well, maybe my language skills are a little bit different because of the neighborhood that I grew in. So how dare you put grades on me? How dare you declare that I'm dumb or et cetera? That's some of the motivation behind all of this stuff that's being lifted up right now. And so all of a sudden you've got this cultural values, the knowledge and competency is in clash with another set of culture values and almost nobody understands what I'm talking about. It really is right or wrong and it's a power game of my culture value is going to win out over your cultural value when in reality what God says, I, we've talked about this before with spiritual gifts, it's stand up and sit down. There's a time when being late is actually a good thing. Yeah. Because you had a priority that was incredibly important, and let's just talk about in general. I've done missions. I've gone a lot of places around the world. Just about everywhere we go in a missions work, you just write it down ahead of time. They will start 30 minutes to an hour to oh, two yeah. hours yeah. after the time frame because that's just how it works in this culture. Why do you think that happens? And the answer is very simple. They value relationship at a much higher level. So if I'm with you and it would be offensive for me to leave you at a particular point in time, I'll just, in the words of our culture, I'll offend the other person by being late, except we tend to have a sense of right and wrong by what's normal. So when it kind of becomes normal to be running late and to, well, I couldn't offend this person by leaving them, and this person over here understands, well, of course you couldn't offend them by, by doing that. So, of course, you were late, and we're, we're both good with the fact that you're late. That all works if it's not a knowledge and competency culture. I lived in Hawaii for a year, and uh, on time in Hawaii is at least an hour late, if not more, depending on the situation. So, what we're dealing with is something that is 
conceptual and at the same time it's functional it's it's in the moment and 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 when i'm thinking one way and the other person's thinking from a different perspective then there's bound to be some sort of conflict how do you resolve that well let's just start with knowledge and competency first of all by its very nature knowledge if i'm an academic think about the war that's going on within our culture it's not science follow the science we have this idea that's been raised up within a western worldview that everything is scientific and everything has a reality and a factual base and so my factual base should trump any of your opinions it it should be superior to yours and so if you don't listen to me then i get offended or i I go into pride and I feel sorry for you because you're, you're <laughs> inferior to me. Well, guess what kind of a message that sends? That's not a good message either. But that's what we're doing back and forth in the culture today. Sounds like playing cards to me. You know, you've got aces and, and, and you've got deuces. And uh, generally, the ace is the power thing. But if you have four deuces, you've probably got a pretty powerful hand. Not that I'm a, a card expert, but but it, it speaks to me that there's a time and a place for all of these things. And, and, and to, to say that God created it this way and, and, and put, put barriers up that you can't go past that, that that's for, for someone talking about God, that's a pretty small box to put yourself in. Let's try to go within the mind of the knowledge and competency person for a little bit. The idea of being on time, let's just stay with that. When you have a group of people who are punctual, who follow through, who follow a schedule, there's an order there. There's, a, there's an ability to be efficient. You have all of these different things, so it feels better than it's going to create productivity. And again, think about the United States and how we're viewed around the world and how this works around the world. We're able to literally go to places, and because academia has been raised up in the United States to a high level, and you also, you know, you've got the capitalistic system, and you've got people who are willing to work long hours and plunge in. So we're very proud, if you will, of our ability to do enterprise and to go in and to change things, to effectively change things in entire cultures and nations. And we do that through knowledge, and we do that through competency, where we've got these twin values, and it has made us an incredible power, so to speak, around the world. So we're able to look at that and go, we're superior. We're better. But there's a problem with that. Look at what's happening within our culture today. Look at the social constructs. Look at everything that's deteriorating and how it's deteriorating. Well, guess what? Knowledge and competency isn't going to fix that social breakdown that's going on today. Well, what you're, what, you're, what you're talking about in the offense area is when you, when you pigeonhole uh, that, that the, the knowledgeable per person, the person that's speaking from the king's seat, uh, believes that they have the best idea. And, and uh, that offense that I take uh, turns out to be offense. 
rather a wall, more likely than not. And and the the both of us have a problem. If we if we can't communicate, if we can't get on somewhat of the same page, we're not going to be able to communicate, and we're going nowhere. So so it's it's behooving to both of us that we be able to at least see the other person's perspective and take a little bit of it in. If and and you may I've had enough, but but just the effort to to listen and and uh consider what the other person is saying is really vital no matter if you're in the king's seat or you're the you're the pauper. The knowledge and competency person frequently does have the better idea. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't make them more effective. It's let's not go, the only idea. Well, let's go back to effectiveness mm-hmm. is through cooperation. Effectiveness is through team. Effectiveness deals with practical outcomes. And the United States at one point had to go to Japan and figure out how to do it. They understood there was more loyalty. Again, the loyalty value, which is one of the next ones that we'll talk about, was very high there. And so they, they worked in team. And all of a sudden, the car manufacturers in the United States were getting slammed by Japan and the techniques that they were using. So we had to figure out that, oh, competency and knowledge doesn't build this thing. I've got to bring in loyalty, and I've got to bring in connection. I've got to bring in team. And when I bring these pieces back in, whoa, the car industry in the United States began to catch back up. We tend to think it's all about knowledge. It's all about competency. My way is better than your way. Well, a lot of the time that's true. By its very nature, knowledge and competency is what? It's knowledge and it's competency, which means that a lot of times I have a better idea. But if I can't put that idea in play with a level of humility, now I'm offending you and I'm actually going to create worse outcomes and not better outcomes. It's interesting you bring up the Japanese society because loyalty uh, and venerating elders is huge. Uh, when I went over and, uh, and played on the team that we toured the Orient, uh, that, was the, that was the first big impression was how much the uh, Japanese people venerated their elders. And, and uh, I would make a, a case for the, uh, the use of atomic weapons was a reaction to that picture that people got about, okay, these people are fanatics because it was out of the ordinary to, to think that way. It was for American. And so a uh, nuclear uh, solution uh, turned out to be what was decided was the only way it was really going to end. I think that's a, that's, that's a pretty scary uh, look at things. And if you listen to the examples that we're using, we're not even talking about individual people at right. this point. We're talking about entire cultures. And if you'll hear what we're saying, this can make a difference in the culture wars, and they very clearly are culture wars that are going on in the United States right now. Absolutely. If we don't actually learn to hear things at a different level and see things at a different level, we can never hear one another. We're going to continue to use nuclear bombs back and forth, 
And guess what that's going to end up? It's called mutual destruction. You used to call it mad, mutually assured destruction. I've got to be able to hit you hard enough to completely take you out. And if I can completely take you out, then I can take back over and, the, and everything will be better again. I've solved the problem. I've solved the problem. And because the answer is me. <laughs> yeah, the answer is me. And that's what knowledge and competency people tend to do. There's, there's almost this divine right of I sit in the king's seat. I understand. I'm bringing this and you need to listen to me. And all you have to do is listen to that and it's immediately offensive and counterproductive. You have indeed been, been blessed if you've been given understanding, knowledge, uh, those things. But how you use it uh, is really the key. What, what, what do you do with a gift? Uh, do you make it a curse or is it a blessing to everybody around you? I love the seat where I sit at this point, because after the last especially 20 years, God took me into working with addicts where I didn't know what I was doing. And thought so you did. I thought I did when we started, but I quickly figured out I wasn't a knowledge person in that area. I wasn't a competency person in that area. So God's taken me through a period of years of listening to addicts. I literally had to undo, unwire some of these things, and I was the guy who was described as proud and arrogant, and, and so people responded badly to me no matter what information I had or brought. Being put into a situation where I didn't know what I was doing, I had to listen, and I walked through a humility through a period of years has helped temper who I am in a way that I can still value knowledge. I'm, I'm still writing new materials. I'm continually searching for new understanding, greater understanding. How do we help people? That's who I am. I don't want to stop being that, but man, I've got to understand the lesson that I'm speaking about here. If I don't understand that unless God leads me, unless God guides me, unless I stay in this place of humility, if I'm not living there, Everything I've learned, everything I've gained really is pretty worthless. What you're describing, your heart was in it. You wanted to, you wanted to help. You wanted to share knowledge, experience, but uh, it was in the wrong place because you didn't have the experience behind the addiction part of it. Uh, and and more, more to the point uh, in, a, in a negative sense because we do all have addictions that can be positive things in our lives. Uh, we talked about that in the group today, too. There's a time to be stubborn, but that isn't where you want to, to live. Uh, there, there are things that you should be strong about, but, but the fact that you put your heart, you offer it, uh, show me. Show me what, what I'm missing. And, and by doing that, you got to be more of a complete picture. And so much of this goes back to the word pain again. In my younger years, when I would try to explain something and people didn't hear me, didn't listen, didn't understand, go through all the different things, it was painful to me. I didn't understand that it was painful because I just, I went into a king seat mode of, well, you know, I'm better than you. I don't know. I don't even know what language to put. But but there was a sense of being rejected. There was a sense of, you know, 
sometimes it turned inward into self-hatred where, well, what's wrong with me? Am I not explaining this? And sometimes there was an anger towards other people, but there was pain there. There was pain driving that thing. And as long as pain was a key driver, guess what? I would tighten up. I would overshoot the mark. I would be belittling. I would be all of the different things. And people couldn't hear what I was saying. And this thing was an accelerating cycle in the negative. When somewhere in there, I stopped and I understood that unless God's in it, I can't explain it. I don't know what I don't, don't know. I don't know how to communicate. You know, I mean, I had to pull all of those don't knows and all of those incompetencies and all of that stuff together and learn to rest in God. As I learned to really rest in God, that whole message changed. And when the message changed, God was then able to start using the competency, the mm-hmm. knowledge that I'd gained in a way that was touching lives, changing lives. He'd given you that. He just wanted to use it and to be for his glory, not your affirmation of how smart you are, how well you could see and the other person couldn't. Uh, it was uh, for God's glory that he was, he's gifted you. And that's true of all the giftings that we will discuss, but uh, particularly in the king's seat, it's, it's one that uh, it's obvious that we knew we know more than somebody else. Uh, that's the way we're sensing it. But what God's saying to you is, hang on a second here. There's a lot about this that you don't know. And at the culture war levels, we're seeing exactly that. We're seeing one side trying to assert its authority and the other side fighting back. And I don't know who's first, chicken and egg, and it really doesn't matter. Somewhere in there, we've got to begin to understand the different core values and see those and affirm those and hopefully actually start to work together. The pain is there. The pain is absolutely there, and it's trying to be denied and run over and power shifted and everything else, but we've got to see one another. We need to learn to hear one another. It will be powerful at an individual level. It can be powerful at a cultural level. Let's take a break, and we'll continue with two more types. Well, we're talking about the king's seat, and the second group of people that I want to talk about within the king's seat are caregivers, nurturers, rescuers. And if you start with that first word, which is really the positive word, caregivers, it's easy to see that I'm in the king's seat. I'm the caregiver. I'm the one who is coming along. I'm the one who is nurturing. And frankly, everybody who is the mom of the group or the dad of the group, there are people who become literally caregivers, nurturers, the mom, the dad of the church, the mom, the dad of the fellowship, the group of people, those kind of people, again, have an instinctive sense of, I play this role. I'm mom. I'm dad. I'm leader. I should be shaping your behavior, guiding your behavior. It's not the same as knowledge and competency. It's almost like you shift knowledge and competency Uh, from the scientific productivity world to the relationship world. This is what it looks like to be a caregiver, to to have that knowledge and 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 the ability, but this is on a daily day uh, 
practical basis. I can, I can dish it out. And, and it isn't take it or leave it. It's I care about you. It's, it's, it's a comfort. It's a uh, you belong kind of uh, sense. And, and that is uh, that's reassuring in a lot of cases, not all. But it, it is reassuring. It makes, makes a communication more easily attained because I don't feel like somebody's talking down to me. I feel like they have an idea maybe uh, where I'm coming from. If they're a true caregiver and they do it in the right spirit, they, the person doesn't feel talked down to, or maybe it is parent-child. And there is a talking down, if you will, but it's an accepted talking down. It's necessary. It's necessary. The relationship is accepted. And that's a problem because our culture has really gone totally horizontal. When you think of democracy and democratic values, again, I'm getting back into culture stuff. When you think of that, that is shared authority. That is, we're all equal. We're all the same. Nobody gets to be above anybody else. And frankly, you get the same thing a lot of times with women in general. Women tend to be more horizontal. Men tend to be more vertical. So with men, it's like, okay, just tell me who's in charge and who I have to respond to, and I'll respond to it. That tends to work well with men. But with women, the verticality, if you put a woman in charge of other women, many times you get a real pushback. It's kind of like, no, you come back down here on our level. We'll do this at a team level. Now, these aren't just male-female tendencies. They're people. Different spiritual gifts have this same kind of stuff going on. So you can have a teacher-child relationship. You can have a parent-child relationship where there's verticality, but our culture as a whole works against that. Our culture as a whole says, no, that's not good. And so kids if are almost taught to hate that at a very young age. In fact, it doesn't matter if it's Disney, it doesn't matter who it is, they're almost immediately starting to teach how foolish the parents are and how smart you are as children. And so don't listen to your parents. Do not put up with this sense of verticality. And people within the culture are doing this sort of stuff they don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand that they're pushing against verticality. They're pushing against respect. And so then if I have someone who comes in who legitimately is a caregiver and they're just doing what they're supposed to be doing, even at a healthy level, when kids have been ch trained in horizontal and kids have been trained, don't listen to those people who are above you, we got a problem even if the parent is being healthy. I flashed on the political end of things in, in our the documents of our creation of a country, of the people, for the people, and by the people. Uh, that's, that all sounds real good. It's very horizontal. Yeah, it's, it's a flat line. And, and, and to carry it out takes a real dedication. It takes, it takes considering others as yourself. And, and, and if you're going to be in the king's seat or if you're going to be in the comfort seat, that's great. Your gifting is, is your gifting. But the reality is if you can't give someone else assurance that that doesn't say, I'm not saying I'm better than you and you need to listen to me. Or, uh, and, and I think that's where we've gone askew.
for a democracy to work well, it's going to work around consensus. Well, if it's going to work around consensus, we all better be kind of being elevated at the same time. And that's where the founders all talked about education, education being such a key. And we've all got to get on the same page and we've all got to get to a place of consensus because we understand we've rejected the king. We've rejected the king who's going to lord it over us. So we've got to work towards this consensus, democracy sorts of ideal. The founding documents of our country, the way we work is against the vertical. So then I come in, if I'm a caregiver, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, you're not my mom. I, I've actually shared this, on, that I watched a, a Filipino couple, and we watched how they had their kids in order, and they had, had like seven kids. And it's Isn't just this like, great? how do you do this family? Yeah. One of the secrets that they shared, which was interesting, which is totally countercultural, one of the secrets that they shared was, well... The oldest was responsible for the next child, and the next child was responsible for the next child. In this culture, they say, well, you're not my mom. You don't have authority. We are very quick to reject any kind, any kind of authority, definitely not siblings. We're going to be quick to reject any kind of authority. Well, think about in that kind of a climate, anyone who is a caregiver, guess what they're going to feel on an ongoing basis? In my lifetime, I've watched, well, I can remember when there wasn't TV. So uh, we got our first TV when I, I think I was about seven. And uh, I remember certain things about it. Uh, the, my favorite thing was uh, when it shut down at night, which is unheard of now, uh, they played the Star Spangled Banner and they did In Flight, which was a a great poem about somebody that's up flying and is near to God. And, and so that's my first real strong memory. The next thing that really jumps out is All in the Family, because we, that was the first program that I remember that, that uh, Archie uh, called uh, his son-in-law Meathead, and, and he had strong opinions, but so did the Meathead. And that was the beginning of, of TV's downward slope for me because it started to accentuate what you're talking about is that we, we speak from our experience and, and, and our experience is everything. Well, that's what a writer is doing. Now, it may have value in other areas, but when it becomes the message instead of part of the message, uh, we've lost something. You spoke in the last segment about Japan and honoring the elders and how that's really been undercut by productivity. If you can't produce, you have no value. Yeah. And so in our culture, elders tend to have no value. And so honor disappears. And again, this is huge. People who are caregivers understand that honor is a huge part of their world. So they tend to get offended when they're not honored. So if you're not listening to me, same as with the knowledge and competency people, if you're not listening to me, that's one level of pain. But then we take it the next step. If you're not honoring me, that's a second level of pain. And the caregivers, having grown up in this culture, may not understand any of what I'm saying. Everything that's going on are internal reactions. They're instinctive reactions, but they're walking around almost wounded 
on a daily basis in this culture because they're not allowed to be who they are. You, you've brought up an insur- uh, interesting incidence in my life. Because I remember, I can't give you the exact years, but somewhere around 60, I started having this sense of when did you go beyond the level of some sort of relevance? Like, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying really isn't relevant because you're an old fart. Excuse the expression, but. And, and, and it was. It was an aha moment, and and uh, I had a lot of choices of what I could do from that, and I, I, some of them have them been have some of them have been positive directions, and other ones I find myself going in a negative direction, and I have to say, hold on, uh, you don't have to. That isn't necessarily the truth. It's just a perspective that that you need to at least entertain. And then address. Caregivers in this culture have that feeling all the time. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, wow, I'm being told I'm irrelevant. I'm right. being told that mm-hmm. I'm not needed. I'm being told that I'm not wanted. So they have this ongoing pain. We just start at that basis. You've got cultural values. You've got a clash. You've got an ongoing sense of pain. How do they respond? Most of them tend to respond either, let's start with the self-hatred end, where they try to hide that away and they just, then they don't feel good about themselves. But many of them respond over on the other end by they go into manipulation and control. The only way I can feel good about me is to get you into a situation where you are responding. So then the caregivers tend to go into what I would call rescuing, where I now need you to respond to me. So I'm going to force this thing in different ways to try to get you to respond, because if you don't respond to me in the way that I think you need to respond to me, I can't feel good about me. I've got pain going on. Well, think about the pain transfers that are happening both ways, how quickly this becomes sick, and it becomes manipulative, it becomes controlling, it becomes rescuing, it becomes all of the different stuff. This one accelerates very, very quickly. And then there's one more piece to this. Rescuers tend to see themselves as mom or dad. So they really feel like they deserve to sit in this seat, much like the knowledge and competency people feel like they deserve to sit in that seat. So then there's that judgment aspect that's going on there. You've got, you've got the woundedness. You've got the judgments. You've got the control. You start wrapping all of this stuff together, and you, you add one more. And here's one more. They tend to feel like they should sit in that seat. So they tend to say, I'm mom. I'm dad. Do what I say, not what I do. They tend to view themselves in this positive light, and they tend to view you as a child And so they're very quick to self-justify. So I've done these other things that are, well, then I come over here and they're very quick to be blind to themselves and to do self-justifying behaviors. And that just accelerates this thing all the more. So both of the areas we've looked at so far uh, have positive values, but in, in... the, the opportunity to present and not have that accepted, the negatives 
end up being very similar. Very similar. And, and that, that uh, it cancels out the positive in the things when it's, it becomes the obsession. That's why this is called the king's seat. You have similarities. You have people who, in a sense, see themselves from above. There's a verticality. There's a sense of, I'm supposed to lead. I'm supposed to influence. As in the terms of parenting, I'm supposed to parent. Where is this nation going to be if we don't get fathers lifted back up and back into a fathering role? Where are we going to be if we don't have quality mothers and caregivers? It is incredibly important. And so, yes, the positive side, when it's done well, is highly important. And we have many forces at a societal level that are trying to tear that apart and take that away from them. That needs to be lifted up. That, that role desperately needs to be lifted up. But right now, it's, it's really in a mess in our culture. And we've got to start seeing it. We've got to start valuing it. But at the same time, if that's going to happen, they've got to recognize some of what's going on let go of their pain, and start walking it out in a much healthier way. We have to re- recognize who's in the king's seat. Yeah, yes, that's a great statement. The king, yeah. the God and Father of us all, and let him orchestrate everything and we do. And there's one in three persons. Amen. Let's take a break, and then we'll have our final type of king's seat person. This one is absolutely appropriate. Are you ready for type number three? I'm not sure. Justice people. Hmm. Think about the whole justice, fairness movement that has just exploded on the scene over the last 10 years, 20 years, five (laughs) years, one year, whatever. It's interesting that there's a need in many people for a sense of justice. I had a phrase jump in my mind when you said justice. Now, I think this is a God thing, so you're going to have to figure out where you're going to go with it. But I fought the law, and the law won. Wow, I uh, think that's a song lyric, isn't it? It is a song lyric, but (laughs) it, it goes both ways. What we're talking about is how... We, we have a perspective on it. We have our way of seeing it. And, and almost without exception, there is truth in what we see, and there's lack of it as well. And, and so we've, we've, we have this idea that what we think is probably uh, better than what somebody else is thinking. We're, we're coming from a stronger position or from a, a more informed place or whatever the, the, the self-aggrandizement is that, that we make, that, that we're, in essence, we're trying to help the other person out and they're not always receptive. In fact, sometimes they're just downright dense about it. And <laughs> so then we start, start trying to be just about it, to be even-handed about it, to share what we have, but, but to receive what we need to receive. And, and to me, that's justice. Justice is 
Sometimes it, it's in our favor, it seems, and sometimes it's not. But if it's real justice, it's all in our favor. When I listen to you, what I hear in my head is Micah 6.8, where it talks about what, what is the right thing, what is the good thing. It's to do justice. I, that's the first one. A lot of people quote that. Do justice, love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We do have responsibility in that. There is a king seat function to actually do justice, to, to work with this, this thing, and fairness, and all of this. That's a value that's a God value. It's an important value. And God talks about because there's nobody who is walking in that, there's nobody who is doing that, then chaos is the result, and wickedness is raised up, and and so doing justice is a significant part. But I'm going to flip that one on its head. God says, vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. There's a place where when I step into that, I'm actually taking the role of God in a way that is not good, and it really gets into this area that's just crazy. Right now, culturally, you have people, in essence, taking the law into their own hands. The law, law talks about something larger than me that we have agreed on, that we have set into patterns, we've codified it into law. When I'm responding to the law, the law should have built into its fabric justice. And for so, the best. For the best, for everyone. So I fought the law and the law won. Well, guess what? We all agreed on this law. We all came to an understanding of justice. When it's working that way, it's working the right way. But often, justice people, this is in the area of unforgiveness, I'm not going to forgive you until I see a change in behavior. Well, we talked about that in group today. Uh, there were several wonderfully honest declarations that they wanted revenge. That was, and, and, and at one of them was that it changed faces. But it still was revenge, and and uh, I brought up that that God would want that no one perishes. That's that's uh, that's the the justice response to I want revenge because revenge is as you say, revenge is is for God. It, it it's in His hands. It's not it's not anything we have the power. Uh, we can we can fake it. We could even murder somebody and have revenge, but but that isn't it. Isn't really revenge. Uh, it's just a huge mistake because uh, it's God that has that power, and that is His and His alone. And and what we can do is honor that, and honor the fact that He says. In, in his word, I would want that no one perishes. That means that, that in the midst of my agitation with someone else, it isn't just all about me. There's another person involved, and God has something in mind for them as he does for me. The difference between two words. You said revenge in the midst of what you were talking about. You said vengeance. God said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. God doesn't do revenge, he does vengeance. 
he does right judgment. And so that's really important when you begin to understand the difference. The person who is in the justice seat, many times they are not okay. They cannot move forward until revenge is done, until I am absolved, until my pain has gotten some kind of payment back for it. I'm not okay with you until that happens, whereas God's very, very different. He literally sent his son to die for us so that he could have the freedom to respond to you in whatever way he chooses. I believe that's what the cross does. Because the sin penalty is paid, God has the freedom to either impose that penalty on you, because sometimes if that penalty isn't imposed, you're not going to pay attention, you're not going to grow up, you're not going to get better. So there are times when the sin penalty does need to land on you. There does need to be a wake-up call, but God has intercessors who literally the sin penalty can land on them. The sin penalty lands on Christ because there are some people, if the sin penalty lands on them, they will be so completely crushed, they'll never have a chance to return. They'll never have a chance to respond positively. They'll be crushed. They'll be undone. And so for some people, Romans 2, when the goodness of God lands on them, all of a sudden there's a wake-up call and they start getting better. Well, there's a difference between vengeance, appropriately applied judgment, and revenge, and way too often the justice person actually operates in revenge, they just don't know it. That's, that's a great perspective. It, 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 it's interesting to me how quickly we can see others' faults and how irritating they are, how utterly, utterly unacceptable they are. And we can't and rarely are good at seeing those things in ourselves. We, we, can, we can see the shortcomings in others, but uh, we have a tendency to be real kind to ourselves and, oh, well, I, it isn't that bad, or whatever language you want to use. The, the lesson here for me is when I start judging what another person deserves, that I say to myself, shut your mouth and consider all the things that you've done and do that deserve judgment too. Now, let me jump into a whole nother area. We've been doing nothing but cultural. I'll keep going. Many times when the United States with Indians, the United States with different people, many times when we've come along and we've pillaged, we've, we've done things that aren't good, then we come along and we do forms of restitution. And sometimes those forms of restitution come in terms of guaranteed payments or whatever. Much of the time, the outcome from that is actually negative. When people are put into that kind of a zone, where, oh, wow, I did you wrong in this generation, so I'm going to come along and I'm going to make huge payments to you in this generation. It's almost like a rich person who hands stuff to their children in a way that cripples their children. So this whole thing gets real convoluted real fast, where you've got a justice person. When you're trying to mete out justice and you're trying to make up for past wrongs and you're, you're walking through all that, it's much healthier to have a forward view where I'm literally looking at you and I'm trying to figure out, okay, 
can we help you in a way that's going to set you free? Can we help you in a way that's going to grow you? The rich person, when he's working with his kids, you know what? No, I'm not just handing you wealth. You know, there, we've got to walk this thing out in a way that you grow up in this thing. You develop some responsibility. You become a good person and you walk this thing through. Justice is very much like that. You've got to start looking forward and not backward. And the justice person many times looks backward and tries to right past wrongs. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, I'm actually making the situation worse. This is not good. So your cultural expression is, is an expression of the trouble we have with God. Because uh, when and if we come into contact with our shortcomings, our natural reaction is that, well, I need to do something about this. That's where we're wrong. Uh, we do need to do something, but we don't have the power to fix it. We don't have the answer to fix it. And, and uh, trying to throw wealth at people that have been underestimated, undervalued, isn't, make the, isn't going to fix that. It's a change of heart that's going to fix it. And, and uh, you, you mentioned the American Indians, blacks. Uh, you could, you all, could, you all could the way spend through. your all day uh, just talking about each group. And, and restitution, you have, to decide, you have to decide what restitution, can you restore what has been lost? You can't give it back to the people that are already gone. And, and, and throwing money at it is, is not an answer because it's, it's saying, okay, we screwed up in this. Let us do that again. We'll, we'll try to fix it with, with money. And, and, and that's an, another insult. The idea of reparations is that, okay, we're going to bring money, we're going to bring all of this in. I'm going to take you back to what we talk about, heart change. What's really hmm. needed in the end, I believe that anytime someone drinks in the character of God, anytime someone drinks in the life of God, you're going to start seeing good outcomes. Anytime someone is enabled, that enabling becomes a kind of crippling in, in a way that it's going to create bad outcomes. So the justice person needs to step off from the justice world and step back and begin to look at some outcomes. And there's times when, wow, I do need to hold you accountable. And God has created justice people for that exact reason. It's very important. It's a vital part of what is needed in our Christian world. It's a vital part of what's needed in our cultural world. So we need to do some of that. But you can't take that and run with it. If you take that and run with it, just when knowledge and competency becomes the value, it becomes very, very sick. When caregiving, nurturing becomes the value, it becomes very, very sick. When justice becomes the value, it becomes very, very sick. And we've got all of these people together who I'm lumping together, and there's others if I was going to detail it, who sit in the king's seat and they tend to put themselves in that place of being able to explain to other people. It's kind of like this, 
this is what's right, and you, you need to listen to me. And so their offenses, their pain, the way they communicate to others, how they hurt others through the way they communicate to others, ends up being a significant part of what's going on in our culture. And it seems to me humility is, is a, should and has to be a big part of any kind of reparation. Uh, that you, because money, possessions, those are temporal. They're, they're going to pass. But if I, can, if I can humble myself and say, that was wrong, and, and I am going to make the effort in my life to honor where people should be honored and not to degrade and to, to deface uh, because they're different. So it's a personal thing, and yet how does it, how does it gain expression as a cultural thing, as a, as a population thing that we're, we're, we're saying, oh, I get that, and then begin to honor. I, I think that the king's seat that we, we mentioned and that that's God's place, that's the only way it's going to happen in a way that's beneficial to those that have been wronged. And, and to ourselves. It's a, it's a mutual admiration of society, uh, and the, the big admiration is for that it's God, and, and, and it's his work, and we want to be a part of that. We don't want to try to run ahead of him and be Mr. Fix-It, and uh, I'm going to throw billions of dollars at this, and everybody's going to be happy. Well, it's obvious uh, in my lifetime the things that were done like that to make everything work, it, 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 it's, it seemed like a good idea, but it's anything but. Yeah, if, if you don't change the hearts of the people, you won't change the outcomes. I mean, you start with the war on poverty, Lyndon Johnson, and literally billions and trillions being thrown at that. If you don't get heart change, if people don't change, the outcomes won't change. That, that's so incredibly important. Let me just flip and just say, you, you've got your servants, you've got your compassion people, you've got your, your intercessors, you've got all of these different people who their pain, their unforgiveness looks very different. And so when we did the Let It Go series, we tended to be dealing more with those people. Now in this series, we're talking about the king's seat, getting to the place where I start actually recognizing my pain handing it off to God so that your language, we can hear God. We can make God be the king. We can put God in the king's seat. Until I start seeing some of these things, I won't put God in the king's seat, and I'll think my way is better, my knowledge of competency, uh, of, of just information, science, my ability to be mom and dad, and I should be the caregiver here, my ability to bring justice in society. When we take that into our own hands, it becomes very sick very quick. I don't make anything, except for trouble maybe, when I decide that I'm going to make it happen. And, and because I don't have that power. That's not, that's not in my package of ability or inability. Uh, it, it is an inability, but that's a good thing because 
uh, it takes me out of the position of having to be right because I'm not all the time. In fact, probably more times than not. But the 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 acknowledgement, the it's the amen. It's the amen that this is God's creation and he's still in charge, large and in charge, and there's no one else has that capacity, the ability, or the love and affection to, to pull it off. I hope you've enjoyed this today. We've talked not just at an individual level, but we've talked at a cultural level. I believe that if people understood some of these dynamics and, and how it worked, it could be healing for us as individuals. It could be healing for us as a culture. If you've been blessed, pass it on to someone else, and we look forward to you joining us next time on Effective Heart Change. Video production, editing, and audio by Matthew. Set design and setup by Ashley. Content recorded live at Studio 104.